Psalm chapter 2 is our text. And today is November 8th in the year of our Lord, the King, 2020. It has been 1,990 years since Jesus has risen from the dead and days, not many days later, he wrote, he wrote, He ascended into heaven and he sat at the right hand of the Father and he has been reigning ever since. You see, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after he made purification for sins on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high being exalted above all messengers, all angels, and all authorities. Because you see, God said, this is my son, today I have begotten you. We're going to sing of this, we're going to hear of this, we're going to read passages of this, like, and unto you a son shall be given, and his name shall be wonderful counselor, the mighty God the everlasting father, the prince of peace, of the increase of his government, government, of David and on his kingdom, to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You want to stamp on that? The zeal of the Lord will do it. The Lord of hosts. Paul said about Jesus when the end, then comes the end when he, Jesus, will deliver the kingdom to God the Father and he'll destroy every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy he will defeat is death. Today's psalm This is sermon number two of the Psalms out of 150 sermons, if the Lord wills, but not in a row. This is Psalm two. This Psalm is a royal Psalm. This is the Psalm that is meant to be Psalm one and Psalm two were placed here at the beginning of the Psalms in order to be the pathway to this glorious temple or mountain range of Psalms of worship and praise to God. Psalm one says there are two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Psalm two says it is in the sun and only in the sun. And I pray that this morning, this as we pour over the most evangelistic psalm in the Psalms, we will be confronted with our maker, our God, our King. And we will once again surrender or for the first time surrender. It is as relevant and as important for us today as it was 3,000 years ago when David, who wrote this, we know David wrote it because in Acts chapter 4, it says David said this and he quotes part of the psalm. Well, let's look at the psalm. Psalm 2, 12 verses. There's four stanzas, three, four groups of three verses. Here they are. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh, against Lord, and against his anointed, saying, 
Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, O presidents of America, O people on the earth, be warned, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What voices are you listening to, friends? What voices do you listen to on the radio? Is it from the radio? Is it your parents? Is it your children? Is it Fox News? Is it the Detroit Free Press? Is it your Facebook friends, Instagram, Snapchat? The Bible? Well, this psalm has four voices that God wants us to listen. If this, ver- this psalm is a song. It's, it's meant for worship, singing. So, Jay, let's put it into song someday. someday. And I'm sure there, there are some versions of it out there. It's been sung by the church for centuries and thousands of years now. And there's four stanzas in this song, this royal psalm. The four stanzas of three verses, one through three, four through six, seven through nine, and ten through twelve. And in each of these stanzas, it's a very organized, not a lot of the Psalms are fully organized like this. There are, there are th- a voice given to us in each of these stanzas. Let's hear them. Because you see, God intends for us through these verses, these four stanzas, to be warned And to ultimately call worshipers, to call us, to rejoice and humbly surrender to the king. Here's four verses. Here's here's number one, the voice of human rebellion. That's where it starts, verses one through three. Why do the nations rage is the question of the psalmist. Why do the nations rage and plot in vain? He's saying, why do they take counsel and why do they plot and have an insurrection? They're planning mutiny against the God of heaven. Who are these kings and who are these nations? It's, it's unbelievers. It's the world. It's the rival kings, to, whether it be to King David. And for us, it could be the presidents and leaders, the media, both political parties, anyone who has not bowed the knee to King Jesus and said, you reign, you reign my agendas. And he says, why do they plot in vain? And the kings of the earth, they set themselves against the Lord. How dare they? And against his anointed. Who's his anointed? His king. Ultimately, the word anointed means Christ, Messiah. Against his Messiah, his Christ. And this is what they say. Here's the first voice. Listen to them. Let us 
burst their bonds. God and his anointed's bonds. Let's cast away their cords. Let's get rid of the bondage. We are yoked to the maker of heaven and earth, and we will have none of it. Let's destroy this God. Let's destroy his king. That's the voice of rebellious man, humankind. They say, I want to be my own master. All the people of the world, all kings, all people are yoked because God is their creator and they're yoked. It's the imagery of a two oxen. Old-fashioned times, they would be have this, this yoke over both of the oxen and they would plow a field and they were controlled and by that yoke, God yokes all peoples, all kings, all presidents, all people to himself and under their authority. And the story of mankind ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve said, no, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm going to do it my way. That looks good, even though God said something else. I'm going to go that way. We have all said, let us break that yoke that God has to us. And I'm going to do my own thing. This is the rebellion of man. And this is in our hearts. You were born here. Everyone was born with a yoke to God. And every one of us has said, I am casting it off. I do not want it. I will not have any of it. And we have all bought into the lie of autonomy. The word autonomy has to do with the idea of auto, I, I am in charge. I am the authority of my own life. Life belongs to me and I should do with it how I want. No one should tell me what to do. Parents, we experience this with our toddlers when they fuss over what they're going to wear or what they're going to eat. And no one ever taught them to fuss that, that way. They believe the lie of autonomy, that they're in charge. Or teenagers, we, you might struggle with it, what you're going to wear or what the rules are with your technology. Or every one of us has those things in which we face this lie of autonomy. We believe it, that we're in charge. We resist being ruled and this first stanza brings us to the most devastating reality and indictment of the human race, including to you and me, that we were born in, is that we are born with this voice saying, let me burst the bonds that God has put me together. He's yoked me to his authority. I'm supposed to obey, but no, I want to live my own way. And we're to listen to this stanza and the congregation singing in our hearts and hear, Rebellion, rebellion is reality and it is folly. It is in vain that you do this. Is this your heart? Are you here? And maybe, maybe you've surrendered to Christ in one sense, but far too often the patterns, the decisions of your life are, are just not God, not someone else. The way you, you spend your money, your generosity or lack thereof, the way you you respond to difficulties in life, the way you respond and the way you're setting the direction of your life, your parenting, your, your time, your wealth, your family, who you choose to forgive or don't forgive, your retirement, 
Is it, I must rule? I must call the shots in life? This is the condition of all of us. This is the condition that this psalm confronts. I don't want you to rule my life, God. I will be my decision maker. I will choose for myself. I will obey what I want, which is no obedience at all. That's the first stanza. That is the first voice. Let's look at the second voice. It moves into the next stanza, verses 4 through 6. We find the voice of the sovereign God. Here's how God responds to their rebellious chortling. (laughs) He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy, almighty, immovable, unchangeable God. He's sitting on his throne and he's laughing at their their mutiny plot, their insurrection, their rebellion. Excuse me. And what he says, he says, I will have none of it. It is a laughter, not of humor. Man, excuse me. It is not a laughter of mirth, of joy. It is a laughter of scoffing. It is a laughter of derision. He is mocking in the ridicule of who do you think you are? And then he says, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Oh, we want to hear God speak to us. But I want to say to you, we do never want to hear him speak to us like this. Maybe you're here this morning by God's grace Because he wants you to hear a warning. God responds to rebel man and says to them in this, he's sitting there and he laughs at their folly. It's as though he is a flaming, unquenchable fire and torch. And the rebellious man comes with their squirt guns and says, I'm going to put out God's flaming fire. And he goes, I'd love to see you try. Or it's like rebellious man saying, I am going to defy the law of gravity and I'm going to jump out of this airplane with a parachute. And he jumps out and he starts to fly through the air and see, I did it. I'm in charge. And he says, we'll see. We'll see. You will be dashed upon the rocks. You can't break my laws. You will be broken by them. What we find in this verse is the almighty God, the king of the universe. This word Lord is the sovereign one. And he's saying, oh, silly rebels, how foolish. You cannot thwart me. I will do what I'm going to do. And he then declares what he's going to do. I will set my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
So that's, that's the summary of this song, this, this, these three verses. He says, laughter, ridiculous what you rebel. Your rebellion is ridiculous. I'm in charge, and what I've decided is I'm going to reign through setting up and installing a king. Oh, I pray. Faith Church, friends, if you're visiting, I pray that we would all become people who would know this God, the God of the Bible, who is rightly so. He is love and mercy, but he is also ruling and righteous, and he must be bowed down to. He cannot be rebelled against. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings, Daniel 2, Daniel 2 says. The psalmist says, once God has spoken, twice have I heard it, that salvation or power belongs to God and God alone. Psalm 115 says, the Lord is in his throne and in his heavens, and he does all that he pleases. And this God in stanza two that speaks to us says, you rebel, you rebel, you who have not surrendered are not surrendering your life to God. I want you to hear this. You'll pay for it. But I want you to also hear this. I have set my king on high. That brings us to the third one. God is in charge. Let's move to number three, the third voice. And we find the voice of the enthroned Christ. Verses seven through nine. We now move to the installing of Jesus Christ. And in verse 7 through 9, and we know this is Jesus is talking because the Bible, the New Testament, both in the book of Acts and the book of Hebrews tells us this is the case. He says this, I, and there's an interchange between one member of the Trinity and the other member of the Trinity. I, the Christ, will tell the decree of the decree, the Lord, he's talking about the Father, said to me, this is the Son, you are my son. He's quoting what God promised him. Today I have begotten you. Really, I've made you my son as a king. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you'll dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. We find the voice of the enthroned Jesus in this third stanza. And if we listen, we hear him saying, I will rule the nations. I will rule the nations because my father, doesn't, he doesn't call him father here, but the, my Lord, Yahweh, has made me king. And he made me king and he said, I'm going to do this for you. And he says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to ask of me. God, the father says to the son, the king, you're going to ask of me, give me the nations as a heritage. And I'm going to say, you can have them as a heritage. Go get the nations. And you're going to have the nations as an heritage, and they're going to bow the knee to King Jesus. They're going to surrender, and they're going to worship. And those that do not, that you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is a glorious promise, and it is horrific. It is glorious to all who receive the message, are warned, and follow him. And it is troubling 
ominous to those who do not heed this promise. Here we find the voice of Jesus being told. He has been given all authority. And he says, ask of me. And he says, ask for the nations to be your heritage and the ends of the earth to be your possession. Do you realize what that means? Do you realize that that is the prophecy 3,000 years ago? And then when Jesus came on the scene, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. The days before he, had descends, he ascends up into heaven, he sits around the, with the disciples and he says to them, all authority has been given to me by the Father. I think he's thinking of Psalm 2. And he says, now go get the nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father. Go make disciples of all nations. The Father's given me the nations. I'm giving you my spirit. Now go get the nations because you're going to get the nations. And over the last 2,000 years, God has been fulfilling his word through Jesus Christ's work in the church by the Holy Spirit. When this book has been preached, when churches are formed, and it started in the Middle East, it started in Israel, it spread throughout the Mediterranean, it went in the first few centuries, it conquered the Roman Empire within 300 years, and over the last 2,000 years, God has been spreading his kingdom and working. And you say, well... It seems like these are hard times now. Christianity is going away. Not in the world it is. It is not going away in the world. It is spreading all over the world. Maybe not in America, though I believe it still will. It's spreading in Asia. It's spreading in Africa. The gospel of the good news of Jesus around the world. So much so that someday I believe there's going to be a lot of missionaries in the United States from the Philippines and from China. And from parts of Africa, they'll come here and share the gospel with us. Oh, may it not be that we, because we are unfaithful. What we find here is he says, ask of me. And I think we find this in other Psalms that God is going to do this. Psalm 22, a Psalm that David uses on the cross when he says, oh my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? Verses before, or verses later, he says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before him. It is God's plan to do this. Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel, I saw, and there came a son of there came a man like the Son of Man, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom will be one that shall not be destroyed. The psalmist says in Psalm 67, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why? Because God said, ask of me and I'll give you the peoples. Brothers and sisters, faith church is king. He sat down on the right hand of the of the Father, and He is in charge. He is working. And our marching orders are from this book, and it is the good news of the gospel. And we go and we tell people, Jesus is King. He died on the cross, and He conquers peoples. He makes them His possessions. And the way He did that is He came humble and lowly. He came humble and lowly on a donkey, and He lived a life, and He served, and was a ransom for many, and He laid out His arms, and He took His life on the cross and he took on the full punishment of our sins and everyone's who puts their trust in him. He came as a saving 
ruler who would come and make all peoples his inheritance and his possessions, if they will but bow the knee, put their trust in him and say, I have no refuge, no protection and security from my sins except in you, Jesus, and I run to you. Receive me, save me. That is the good news of the psalm. This is what this king will do when he comes on earth and what he did. We sing about it at Christmas. We're going to sing about it in just about a month. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive their king because he's here. Joy to the world or the earth, the Savior, he reigns. Let all songs employ. No more let sin or sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. He has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse was found. And he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love. It is good news to all of us who put our trust in him. And yet it is terror. It is the worst possible message for someone who will remain in the rebellion and not turn away. He says this, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Or in verse 12, for his wrath is quickly kindled. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry Jesus. We don't think of it like that, do we? Angry Jesus Revelation 19 says there'll come a day. We don't know if it'll be a few years from now or 10,000 years from now. The prophecy goes that I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And this is Jesus not no longer sitting on a humble donkey, but on a warrior's horse. He's called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. This is imagery to say, I not want to be on the wrong side of him. He is no longer bringing forgiveness. He's bringing justice. He's no longer bringing grace. He's bringing absolute terror to rebels. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And he has armies surrounding him, his armies on white horses, and from his mouth, this is all imagery, is a sharp sword which will strike down the nations. And I believe that means the nations that do not turn to him, the peoples that do not turn to him. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, this third stanza wants us to hear this message. Christ will reign completely. He will, and that is good news or bad news, depending on what you do with it. And that brings us to the last and final voice, the last stanza, number four, the voice of the psalmist. And that's his verses 10 through 12. Say the voice of the psalmist, it's the voice of a preacher. It's the voice of the messenger of the king. It's a voice to us, the listeners. We're studying the psalm, and it's saying, now their factions, oh, presidents, presidents-elect, president, current presidents, senators, leaders, prime ministers all over the world, oh, kings, all peoples, oh, people sitting in this building on Silver Lake Road, be wise, be warned, wake up. 
Understand what's real. O rulers of the earth, serve. And here's, here's the counsel. And this is the invitation. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. And kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This last stanza is saying, surrender to the king. He is giving you a warning and an invitation. Be warned, but receive the invitation. Be the type of king, like in ancient times, there would be a great and mighty emperor and king who was known and great. He was the king of kings. Be, and they knew about this king of kings, and you are like a little king out there. And these little kings that had their dominions, that they had their nations, they ruled and they heard about this big king and they found out this big king, big king is overall and they travel a long distance and they come to the big king and they know that if they do not surrender their kingship, their authority under the yoke of this greater king, they'll be crushed by this emperor. And so what do they do? They come to this king and they fall before the knee and the king offers his hand and he kisses the king's hand. Kiss the king. Surrender to the king. King, my kingdom is yours. My rule is under your authority. And the king says, go in peace. Rule with justice and equity and truth. And my power will protect your kingdom under my authority. You see, that is what God, the king of the universe, has said his son. And he invites all kings, all individuals to come to King Jesus, to fall at our knees, surrender and say, and kiss the king. It's the imagery of surrender to the king. Put your trust in the king. Quit putting your trust in your own authority. Remember how stanza one says, we have this yoke that God put on us that we have to obey him. And we're always saying, no, let's rip this yoke off. Well, this king graciously and mercifully came onto earth and said some of the most beautiful words of invitation to us. And these words still are still in words were this. Come to me, all you who labor and are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Uh, take my yoke upon yourself and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke, surrender to me. Surrender all those sins. You can't anyway take care of those sins on your own. Give them to me, and I will give you forgiveness from your sins. I will give you help. All those things that are keeping you to be your own ruler, those people you can't forgive because they just deserve it, surrender it to me and I will be your king. All the circumstances in your life that just seem so wrong and hard, surrender them to me. I will be your king. Make me your refuge. Be wise, O kings, O people, O faith church. Be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. What a strange way of saying that. It's saying worship with a type of fear, not this terror. He's going to crush me at any second. It means with a reverence and an awe and rejoice with a type of awe and trembling. 
Oh, we are to rejoice and delight in our great and glorious God. But and then he says, as he ends this psalm, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Do you know what it means to take refuge in something? It means you're in trouble. They're going to kill you. They're going to destroy you. You're terrified. You, have, you don't know what to do. And you run to a place that you think is safe and you find is safe. And you go into there, lock yourself up there and safety. They, it's, they can't get you anymore. You're completely protected. Full refuge. It says here, all those who, blessed are those who take refuge in God. The God who sets up his king. The king who will reign forever. You see, the psalmist wants us to realize that as we surrender to him, our very act of surrendering is an act of running to him for mercy and for refuge. We think that because of our sins, and God says, I'll have none of it, there is no refuge from me. There's only refuge in me. Please hear that. There is no refuge from the king. There's only refuge in the king. And brothers and sisters and friends and visitors, there is more than enough refuge for you. There is more than enough refuge for God the Almighty who says, there'll come a day when you will be judged and crushed like a little potter's vessel by his wrath. But not today if you will but receive and receive him again. If you've already surrendered, but you're at a place where I, I'm not surrendering. Today is God saying to you, once again, surrender everything that you have. He is good. He is refuge. He is your strength. Run to him for safety. Run to him for your sin problem. Run to him for your security problem. Run to him for your satisfaction problem. You're looking for all those freedom from sin, freedom, freedom in security, freedom to have true satisfaction. It's only found as you run to him as your refuge. Be wise, O oh. Faith Church and all attending, be warned. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Surrender to Him. I'm going to invite the worship team to sing a concluding song. Crown Him with many crowns. He's already crowned. This is an expression of our paying homage to the King. This is a song of kissing the Son. This is a song of surrender and of faith. And before we sing, I'd ask you to just bow your head and pray with me. Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that if there's anyone here that has never, ever found forgiveness in Christ, has never been surrendered to you. I pray that whether they come and talk to me or someone else, that they would not... Not let that rest until they're right with the king. Use this song of reflection and response. Help us to joyfully kiss the king. Not just with that song, but with all our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.